Hello, hello, hello. Good morning. Welcome to What Would Kay Say? And I am your host, Kay Edwards. How is everyone doing today? Blessed and highly favored, I'm sure, because I know I am. But before we get into this show, I want to do my housekeeping. You know how we do here at Radio Free Brooklyn. I want to remind everyone that Radio Free Brooklyn is a 501c3 nonprofit community organization whose mission is to empower Brooklyn's underserved local communities by providing active learning in media practices and to amplify their voices through a global internet radio platform. In other words, Radio Free Brooklyn is a non-commercial community. We rely totally on donations. So if you want to continue to hear iconic shows like What Would Kay Say and all the other shows that are on our our website, go to our website page. You really need to go to our website page, RadioFreeBrooklyn.com. Check out all the shows that we have there. Click into the shows. Read the about the the people that are hosting these shows. Read their bios. Find out what made them want to start even doing a freeform show on the internet. I mean, it's just, we have so much talent here on this radio station. It's phenomenal. So go to the website, look at all the shows that we have, find out what it is that you may like to listen to, and then you can find out what time they broadcast. We have merchandise. If you want to go to our store, we're selling t-shirts. Any little bit that you can donate, we greatly appreciate. Thank you so much. So now, for the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about various things, but basically I'm trying to get back on the, I'm back, I'm trying to get back on the road of us becoming our best selves. Cause that's what we've been starting. That's how we started out the year. And then the pandemic came and then everyone was under isolation and then all anxiety and everything 
crept in, but I want to get us back on the road of where we first started. So now we had all these little distractions and not saying that they weren't important, but it's not enough for us to derail what we had in progress. So I want to continue in that mode of building ourselves up to be the best that we can be, to be all that we can be in God and to fulfill our purpose of why he placed us here on this beautiful planet. So today I would like to discuss what does it mean to be a leader? Now think about that question for a moment. When you think of a leader, what comes to mind and who comes to mind? And I want to ask you too, do you think of yourself as a leader? Have you ever thought about yourself as a leader? Think about that as we're going through this whole exercise today. So a leader is defined by Merriam Webster, because you know, I always want to give you the exact definitions of things that I can. Merriam-Webster defines a leader as a person who has commanding authority or influence. So now, taking that as the definition, are you aware that in order to be considered a leader, that it's not about the title that you hold, but the behavior that you display? So I want to say that once again to make sure it actually sinks into your brain. You are considered a leader by your actions, not necessarily by your position. Now, don't get me wrong. There are titles out there that, yes, we'll respect them because of the, the position that they represent. There's just some titles that you're going to give respect to right off the bat. Regardless of who's sitting in the chair, you're going to give respect to the title. But the signs of a true leader comes from one's behavior. So now there are various types of leaders, but today I want to look at six leadership styles and why it's important for you to understand which style you may possess. Because if you understand the style of leader that you might be, then you can see yourself one day being a leader. If you don't already see yourself in that capacity. Now, the Bible states that we are the head and not the tail, right? So in other words, we're in front, we're not behind, we're first, we're not last. So if you're in front, you must be leading, right? You're leading something or someone to be in front. Anything that's in front is usually a leader, right? So now Deuteronomy 28, that's the, the first 13 verses is talking about blessings on obedience. So we're going to go down to chapter to verse 13, excuse me. We're going to be in Deuteronomy 28 verse 13. And this is what it says. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall be above only and not beneath. If you heed the commandments of the Lord, your God, which I command you today and are careful to observe them. So if we heed the commandments from what that verse just said to us, if we heed the commandments, we have the potential to become leaders. 
Now remember, the definition of a leader is one that commands authority or has influence. So now I want to go into the first style of leadership. The first style of leadership that we're going to talk about is called an ambassador. Now, ambassadors, they know how to handle various situations with grace, right? They tend to be the people that diffuse nasty situations. They're the ones that get involved in conflicts on behalf of other people, not even to benefit themselves, but to benefit the people that they're getting involved for. They are apt to be persistent in a gentle way, to be persuasive, and at the same time, respectful, right? Now, here's an example of what an ambassador might do in a corporate setting. An ambassador, for example, might be someone who can introduce a whole host of people assessment and development frameworks with the result that employees understand and accept a new order easily. So they make transitioning into maybe new ideas in the corporation. They have a way of dealing with situations with finesse. So that's what your ambassador is. Now, the second style of leadership is an advocate. Now, adv when you hear the word advocate, certain things come to your mind. You automatically think of a certain type of individual as an advocate. But this is what an advocate is in leadership. Advocates instinctively act as the spokesperson in a group. They tend to be articulate, rational, logical, and persuasive. They also tend to be relentless, right? In a positive sense of the word. Championing ideas and strategic positions. Advocates tend to use both linear and nonlinear approaches when they argue a point. Top managers who are natural ambassadors may do very well at navigating through rough waters. But the advocates being in rough waters is part of the reason why they revel in their work. It's like an advocate gets up to be ready to, to fight the cause, right? Many advocates tend to see things in black and white only. Advocates very often need ambassadors on their senior management teams to help them temper their messages and persuade employees to buy into, air quotes, their decisions. Because advocates can be very pro on, right on top of it, right on top of it from the beginning. We doing this, we doing this, we doing this. But of course, you know, you have the ambassador that could ease the people into the transition of what it is that you want done. The ambassador is going to be the one that's going to keep the advocate steady. Now, here's your third style of leadership. It's a people mover. Now, when you think about a people mover, you think about a, a talent spotter, a career builder, a motivator, someone with parental nurturing qualities. People movers instinctly take the lead in building teams. They're also instinctive mentors. They generally have large contact lists. 
They are always introducing new people to new ideas and new paths. They also generally mindful. They are also mindful of their employees' lives outside of work. Right? So they view the performance of their employees as a larger lens of potential. Now, the fourth style of um, leadership is a truth seeker. Now, when you think of a truth seeker, you might think of someone that's harsh, right? When you say truth seeker, it seems like somebody's out to get you, right? <laughs> but a truth seeker, when it comes to leadership, is fairness, good judgment, level-headed, process-oriented, objective, in a high standard, though. This is the only role for which there is a prerequisite. <laughs> Truth seekers are unfailingly competent in their field. Their competence is unquestioned. Truth seekers instinctively level the playing field for those in need. They also help people understand new rules and policies. They act to preserve the integrity of the processes. They try to identify the root cause issues or pivotal issues. They also step in to ensure the just and fair outcome if the process has, yielded, has failed to yield the same. So they're always trying to make something work the way it's supposed to work, right? And they say that successful individuals in human resources functions function generally as a truth seeker. So people that work in human resources are usually truth seekers. That's interesting. Now the fifth style of leadership is called a creative builder. Now, these individuals are visionaries. They're the entrepreneurs. They're happiest and most driven at the start of things that, you know, as soon as your company comes up with something new, they're like right on it. They instinctively see new opportunities for new products, new companies, you know, new niche, you know, markets. They take ideas and make them real. You know, they're like, yay, everything with them, with the creative builders, yay. Right? Even if they remain in one leadership position. Everything that the company will come up with, a creative builder will be gung-ho about championing the cause. Creative builders instinctively understand that building is not necessarily about invention, but about the process of making the invention real. Builders are, cons are, cons are constantly energized by new ideas, yet they have the staying power to see them through to fruition. Meaning that when your company comes up with a new idea and they're giving it to everyone to like, come on board, this is what we're doing now. A, a creative builder will be that person in the group that no matter what happens, even if it looks like it's not going to work, they're going to see it from beginning to end Whatever it was, whatever the process is, that's what they want to do. They want to stick with it and see what's going to happen, what the outcome is going to be. That's what the creative builder is. They're always happy 
to be with the new, you know, the new, the newest innovate innovations or the newest ideas that's going on in the company. Um, okay. They also say, now here's a downfall of builders. Builders sometimes get into trouble because they remain in one place too long. That means that, you know, they don't know when to give up. If it's not working, they don't know how to abandon the, the project and go on to something else. They don't know when it's time to leave. Builders can successfully remain in a single leadership position only if they figure out how to feed their own new need for new projects. So they will stay in a position as long as they always have new projects coming their way. Now, the last but not least is experienced guide. Now, an experienced guide is they have a way of helping people think through their own problems. They are natural therapists. Often, they are seemingly bottomless wells of information on diverse range on a diverse range of topics. These are the people who can always be counted on to supply the right quotation or the right historical connection. They are not necessary medi necessarily mediators, yet the guide, the experienced guide is often the person who finds himself or herself in the middle of both the of people on both sides seeking to resolve a, to resolve a conflict, right? So, when a corporate meeting has been particularly stressful, with a conflict in it, after the meeting and everyone's dispersed, you'll often find the experienced guide in a place where everyone's coming to them to either, oh, what did you think about the meeting? Or what did you think about this one said? What do you think about what that one said? And they're always looking to this person to be the one to give the direction of what should go forward, right? So that's the experienced guide. They're always, they're the people in the, in the corporation or they're the ones in leadership that everyone turns to when they have a conflict, regardless of what the conflict entails. It might not even have to do with their department, but the fact that it's a conflict that an individual is having, that, that an individual might be having, they will then look towards that leadership type that is the experienced guide for some type of resolution because they know that they're going to come up with a resolution regardless. So... Those were our six types of leadership, our six leadership styles. And I want to know, did you see yourself in any of those leadership styles? And now I got that information from, I actually took a leadership test. I took an actual leadership test and I'm going to tell you the name of the leadership test that I took because then you can then go and take that test yourself and you can see where you felt like I know I've been in management for a number of years. I've always, no matter where I started out, I've always ended up in a management role somewhere down the line. So I might've started when I, like I remember when I first started in the bank, I started in the bank data entry, didn't know anything about anything, just, you know, coming out of school, going into just working. As long as you knew how to type back in the day, then as long as you know how to type, you could get a job data entry. As long as you could do, 60 plus with no errors, you had a job. So I was able to go work anywhere because I was, I love typing. So 
being in, when I went to college, I stayed away for two years and then I came back home. So I actually finished up my bachelor's here back in the city, even though I had went away for a time. So I started working. When I came back home, I started working. So yes, I got a job in um, doing data entry. So I started working in a bank. And as I was working in a bank, I also then continued to go to school. But um, I say all that to say that I've always ended up in leadership. No matter what I started out as, my I guess my nature, my calling, it was always propelling me to be a leader. So I took a leadership assessment test because I just wanted to find out what type of leader I was because I never took a leadership test. So I never knew my style of leadership. I knew what I knew what I thought, what type of leader I thought I was. But I was surprised after I took the test, I actually ended up being a different style of leader than what I had envisioned in my own mind. So the test that I took, it's called your leadership legacy and it's by Robert Galford and Regina Maruka. Um, you can look it up online. It's called your leadership legacy assessment test and it identifies your instinctive leadership style. So I took that test and you'd be surprised at what results I got. My results for taking that leadership test, I was actually, I scored highest in, it's a series of 30 questions. Okay, let me start all over. When you take the assessment test, it's a series of 30 questions. They ask you randomly, you fill out, you know, it's a fill in the blank. It's multiple choice. It's five choices from one spectrum to the X. Either don't really think or you really do think. Um, and with the 30 questions, it's really simple. Nothing to really break, you know, rack your brains over. You just answer. And then you, they give you the number of scores that you get within the six categories of the leadership that we just went through. I scored highest. Well, actually it was a tie between ambassador and experienced guide. Now I thought with the personality that I have, that I would score high on advocate, but from the definition of what an advocate is there as leadership style, I actually scored, that was my lowest score of all the six um, components. I scored the lowest when it came to um, advocate, to be an advocate as a leadership style. And I was quite surprised. I was like, oh, wow. I, I thought that it would have been high up there. But my two scores, I would think I was like, ambassador was 24 and experienced guide was 25. So all of them are out of 25 out of all the six categories. They say out of 25, this is your number of where you fall into that category. So my highest two was ambassador and experienced guide. But then after I look at the definitions of what an ambassador is and what an experienced guide is, I said, you know, that is more towards my nature of the type of person that I am. And especially when it comes, especially when it comes to my leadership style. Like when I think about when I, um, when I managed, you know, in construction, I do, I do see myself as being that diffuser, 
of nasty situations because I did have to deal with union issues. I did have to deal with conflicts with associates. I did have to deal with conflicts with vendors, you know, things with DOT, things with um, Con Edison. I had to deal with those things. So I can see my leadership style as being an ambassador and I can also see my style as being the experienced guide. The experienced guide is the one who can always put themselves in someone else's shoes, right? They said um, they have the ability to listen and to put themselves in others' shoes. They have a way to help people, helping people think through their own problems. They are natural therapists. So yes, I can see where I could be that experienced guide as well. Because right now, as I'm, I'm talking here on the radio, I'm always, I'm almost in the position, if this had to be a leadership role, I'm in the position right now of being like an experienced guide because I'm helping people think through their own problems so that they can come to a better solution for themselves. So yeah, I, when I, after I took the test, I was like, oh wow, yeah, I do fall into those two categories. So it's a very good test to take. Like I said, if you have the time, it's called your the Leadership Legacy Assessment Test, and you can identify your instinctive leadership, leadership styles by taking that test. And like I said, it's only 30 questions. It's not really long. It's not very tedious. Something you can do, you know, in a matter of, please, five minutes, 10. I think it took me 10 minutes to do the entire test and then read what my uh, results were. So it's very good. So with that, I want us to all just think about the different styles that I, I laid out to you today. And I want you to determine what type of leadership style it is that you have. So, and then you'd be surprised. You'd be surprised to, when you see where you fall, it lets you understand even better how you um, deal with situations how you react in situations because you know it, it'll give you um it's almost like giving you a guide of how you think and how you feel and I, I think it's beneficial I think it's really beneficial especially for those of you who are are in leadership and for those of you who are aspiring to be in leadership it lets you know how you deal with other individuals so with that we're up at the half of the hour I think it's time for us to take a little music break so we can, uh, you know, regroup, reassess ourselves and everything that we just learned this morning. And when I come back, we'll go into the second half of the show, which is going to be op-ed. You are listening to What Would Kay Say on Radio Free Brooklyn. Come 
Welcome back to What Would Kay Say? And I'm your host, Kay Edwards. I want to talk about today, uh, first of all, I want you guys, if you can, to catch an episode of W. Kamau Bell's United Shades of America. It comes on CNN. I'm not sure. I can't remember what time it comes on. But I happened to catch an episode which actually was the first episode of season six. So this has been on for a minute and I know I'm going to have to go back and watch some other episodes because this was very enlightening to me. It was, it was understanding how the progression of the KKK and white supremacy became so prominent in America. So I found it to be very, you know, informative because a lot of times you, you hear the KKK or you, you hear neo-Nazis or skinheads and you have this, you have this definition or the, or this picture of what these people are or who these people are. But until you really go back into the history to see how they came about, you can't really get an understanding of it. So this episode that I caught, um, had to do with white supremacy and the KKK and all that and what it really is all about and what systemic is, you know, the term systemic, you know, all that stuff like that. It it was really good. So I want you guys to, if you get a chance, look up United Shades of America on CNN. But now this brings me to the point of what's been going on with Black Lives Matter. And has anybody been following what's been going on in Portland? with their protests concerning Black Lives Matter. Now, Portland started protesting the same time that everyone else started protesting the Black Lives Matter movement, which happened since the killing of George Floyd by the hand of a police man, or should I say the knee of a policeman in his neck for more than eight minutes. Now I wanted to paint that picture in your mind again, because I don't want anyone to ever forget it because that same show of force that was placed on George Floyd is now plaguing the protesters of Oregon. And I'll tell you why. Now they've been peaceably protesting like everybody else across the country But we know that since the protests began, this has become a 
thorn in the side of this presidency, right? It initially started when he called the looters and rioters thugs and that they needed to be dealt with, with federal force. Well, that didn't happen. Then he tried to use the military to clear the front of the White House so that he can take a picture in front of a church with a Bible. And that was met with opposition from all military leaders, active and retired, right? So as you can see where I'm going with this, right? Everything that happens that he tries to do to the protesters and it's counteracted by someone either voicing an opinion against it or it not really going the way he wants it to, it, it festers with him. So now in Portland, the door was opened when the protesters began toppling monuments. Now we were toppling monuments in all other cities as well, but I don't know what it is about Portland and I really have to get to the bottom of it. Why that is the city that's really where he's doing all this. And I think it's because I think it's because their mayor and their governor is so weak. And I don't want to say that in a negative way, but I think they he's bullying them. So anyway, let me finish with the story. So they toppled the, the monument of George Washington in Portland, right? And then with that, he sent federal agents to assist the local police because they were toppling these uh, monuments. So when the monument of Andrew Jackson in Washington, D.C. was almost toppled over, that's when he wrote an executive order that you could not touch monuments. It was an executive order, an executive order that saved monuments, right? So at that point, it opened up the door for him to send federal agents to Oregon because of this whole, now we have this executive order that you can't touch monuments. So it's like, okay, they touched the monument. So now I could send these agents back to Oregon, right? Because he's looking at now the protesters as being they're anarchist and they pose a threat to the government and all American cities are under siege now when all these protesters are doing what they're doing. So it's been heard, it's been told that people have been pulled off the streets by unidentified agents in unmarked cars. It's now that there's this like secret police running around Portland, just snatching people, throwing them in jail. So now this is prompted the state of Oregon to sue the federal government for violating the civil rights of the protesters and the ACLU American civil liberties union. They're the sect of them that in Oregon is now also suing the government to protect journalists who have been arrested for not doing anything other than reporting the news. So now all this is jumping off in Portland, right? So you have all these agents that nobody knows who they are, but they're just pulling people off the street. They have this secret police running around, right? And he was looking to expand them to other cities who have had an uptick in violence recently, like Chicago and New York, for example, right? But Cuomo said he's not going to allow them to come here 
you know Cuomo's not going to stand for that. But I say all that to say, do you see how this is setting up to be a threat to our democracy? Because right now with him employing these secret police, since nobody knows, and every time I say secret police or I read the word secret police, it makes me think of back with um, Nazi Germany when they had the police that was going around just pulling people out of their homes. It makes me think of Russia with the KGB when they had their police force that was just going around terrorizing people for whatever reason the government felt they wanted to terrorize. And that's not what America is supposed to be about. But this is what I say, people. Now that you know what I'm talking about with what's happening with the pol- with the president threatening to send these secret agents of his to various cities because he feels that there's too much violence and our own governors and mayors can't control it, that's a violation of the First Amendment, right? Now, the First Amendment protects protects us as citizens against laws prohibiting the freedom of religion, speech, and the press, as well as the right to assemble and to petition the government. So now if he's writing these executive orders to stop the protesters because he can now deem them as being something else, which gives him the right to send in federal troops or police or agents, that's a violation of our democracy. So this is where November becomes very important. In November, you're going to be called to cast a vote. Now, you know, there's two people running. You can choose whomever you want, but choose wisely because you see what is happening now leading up to the election. If he can take over cities and he could have them under siege, under federal troops or agents or police because he feels it's anarchy going on in the streets because people are utilizing their first amendment rights. What does this say about the election? Pay attention. People do not be distracted by what's in front of you. Don't just see the tree in front of you. Know that you're walking through a forest. There's a bigger picture here. We must go out to vote. We must cast our vote for the person that is most capable of keeping us in the democracy that we all live in right now and we want to maintain. We must. And if you think about it, the right to vote, that is so, the right to vote is so powerful. It's worth more than money. I don't think people actually realize the power that they possess with the right to vote. Do you know that in eight, in the 1800s, white men were allowed to vote, but only white men that owned land, poor white men could not vote. So then down when it, as time progressed 
1870, African-American men were allowed to vote as were poor white men. Now this came with the 15th amendment. Now I know when I say that and you're like, well, in the, if we had in the 15th amendment that black men were allowed to vote, why did Martin Luther King have to have Johnson sign the voter rights act in 1965? Good question. See what you have to pay attention is although you have in, in the constitution and when you had the amendments, you are given certain rights behind the scenes as years go on, states change their constitution so that it doesn't have to exactly mimic what the federal government says. And the federal government themselves will then enact certain bills and they'll pad them with changes that they want to put in for certain amendments that you don't even know is happening. So while you're saying rah, 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 yeah, we want to pass a bill to defund the police, defund the police. Overall, or if you say, oh, rah, 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 we want to cut back on the military, cut back the amount of money that we're spending on in the federal government on the military. So that bill goes to Congress. Now, in order to get votes to pass that bill and everybody's, yeah, 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 that's what we want. You don't know the little subtext that's attached to that bill that when they pass that bill, there's like a hundred other things that's getting changed as well that you don't even realize it. And it's so subtle. You don't realize it until it affects you. And that might be 10 years down the line, 15 years down the line. You're like, well, when did that change? We were always able to No, when you were going rah, rah, rah for the changing of that bill for defund the, the military, they were slipping in other little things to change whatever they wanted to change in order to get the votes that they needed to get that bill across. So I say all that to say, and I know it probably sounds mumbo jumbo, but that's my understanding of it. And I guess I could have gone and studied and give you the whole exact, but you know what? I'm going to leave that for you. If you want to check whatever I said, fact check me what I just said, look it up for yourself. Know that they do pad those bills that they pass with other little things in it that you don't know that changes a lot of things in people's lives that you don't know. It might not affect you, but it might affect the man in Kentucky. You just never know. But I say all that to say your vote is so powerful and with it taking so long to get them to pass a bill that would allow certain people to vote exercise that right. People do not give that right People have fought and died to have that right. So with that, I end op-ed. Now, we know our word was freedom for this month. And I'm going to keep it riding with freedom. Because with everything happening in Portland, where these people, their freedom is about to be taken away from them because they don't, the president doesn't want them to protest. With, um everything happening with the election coming up, we have the freedom to vote and we need to exercise that right. I want to stick with the word freedom for this, just for this last day. I usually give you another word, usually in the last day going into the next month, but I'm not going to give you a new word until we actually go into August. I want freedom to stay in the front of your mind, how important it is to have freedom just freedom to do whatever. If it's just to stand outside 
on your porch or look out your window and just enjoy the sunshine. You want to be able to have the freedom to do that. And I know that sounds so trivial, but you'd be surprised once they start taking away one thing, you don't, you don't know what's coming next. You never know what's coming next. So we have to preserve that freedom, that right to freedom that we have right now in this country. And with that, I'm going to give us a promise. Let me see what is going to be our promise for today. Hold on. Let me get the promises. Let me see. Our promise for today is, let's see. Okay. Our promise for today is Jeremiah 7, 23. Obey my voice and I will be your God. And with that, I say, be a blessing to one another, protect one another, wear your masks, people, if you're going out. I know the weather has been hot. We've been having a heat wave here in New York. Stay safe. COVID is still out there. Keep your social distancing. And until we meet again next week, God willing, peace. There's a grace when the heart is under fire. Another way when the walls are closing in And when I look at the space between Where I used to be and this reckoning I know I will never be Dead left for dead beneath 